Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, live from London this week as we bring surveillance on the road to cover the debate over whether the United Kingdom should leave the European Union. There are some headlines beyond that in the uh, corporate world that people are following today, including a, a report that Vladimir Putin considering selling uh, part of Russia's corporate crown jewels to China and India. He's uh, seeking a buyer for about 20% of the oil company Rosneft, and now indicating for the first time he might prefer a joint deal with uh, those two nations to drive growth in energy demand. Carl Icahn in the news again this morning. He's uh, been uh, looking to buy more of Federal Mogul, boosting his offer to $8 a share from $7 a share. No word on uh, how that is going to go over. And if you're a golfer, a Kushnet is filing for its initial public offering. The golf product company that owns the Titleist and Pinnacle brands, uh, the company is going to file under the ticker symbol GOLF. Uh, could fetch a valuation of about $2 billion, according to people familiar with the matter. Now it's time to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, thank you very much. A judge in Connecticut will hear arguments today on whether to toss out a lawsuit against the maker of the semi-automatic rifle used to kill 20 children and 6 adults in the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre. Several families of those killed at the Newtown School and a survivor are suing Remington Arms. They say the company knew its AR-15-style rifle was too dangerous to sell to civilians. The Southwest is under a heat wave. Triple-digit temperatures are so extreme, a flight from Houston to Phoenix had to turn around because the runway was too hot to land and the tires might explode in the 118-degree heat. Donald Trump will hold a meeting in New York today with his top advisors to reassess his campaign strategy. Trump staff members are telling Bloomberg the presumptive Republican presidential nominee is facing pressure from within his own inner circle about the lack of coordination and communication. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Precipity Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stashow. Thanks, Mike. Last time a title was won by a team from Cleveland. The fans likely watched on a black and white TV. It was 1964, and the Browns won the NFL championship. Now LeBron James in Game 7, scoring 27 points, a triple-double. Help from Kyrie Irving, who had 26 in the go-ahead three-point shot with 53 seconds left. And the Cavaliers won Game 7 at Golden State, 93-89, to to become the 11th team to ever come back from a 3-1 series deficit two weeks after the Warriors were the 10th to do it. But this is the first time it ever happened in the NBA Finals. Third championship for LeBron. He, of course, won two in Miami, then returned home and now has made good on that promise to deliver a title, denying a second straight title for Steph Curry and the Warriors, who won a total of 88 games this season, came up one short. Dustin Johnson no longer with the moniker, best golfer to never win a major last year's U.S. Open runner-up, won it at Oakmont by three shots. Rock-bottom feeling for the Mets, swept at home by the lowly Braves, losing 6 nothing. The Yankees beaten by the Twins 7-4. to Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashauer. 
Thank you, John. Well, we're looking at a British pound that is costing our company more money to send Tom and I over here. One forty-six thirty this morning. It's up two percent on the day. The FTSE is trading higher by one hundred and ninety-five points right now, three point two percent. This is Bloomberg Surveillance live from London this week. Michael McKee along with Tom Keane keeping on top of all of the developments in the Brexit debate. The move uh, ahead by the Remain campaign in the polls over the weekend has markets rallying around the world, not just here. S&P futures up by 28 points, 1.4% now. Dow futures are up by 218. It's a 1.2% gain. The stock 600 across Europe, 12 points higher, 3.6%. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, investing more than $110 million a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life. Learn more at storiesofinnovation.njit.edu. A billionaire Jeff Bezos' space exploration company launched and landed an unmanned rocket Sunday while testing a parachute failure. It's a key step in checking the safety of its new Shepard vehicle before sending it to space with astronauts aboard. The mission was the fourth time the same Blue Origin rocket flew to suborbital space and returned to Earth intact, the first incorporating a planned failure of landing equipment for its capsule to test redundancies meant to protect the vehicle and passengers. The capsule, which would carry astronauts on a manned mission, landed successfully in West Texas on Sunday morning after two, instead of a typical three, parachutes deployed. The rocket itself uses wings and refires its engine to slow its descent, it landed successfully before the capsule, about seven minutes after takeoff. Speaking of the space race, the latest entrant has a wingspan longer than the distance traveled by the White Wright brothers at their earliest flights. Paul Allen, the billionaire co-founder of Microsoft and owner of the Seattle Seahawks, is building a twin-fuselage behemoth airplane as wide as a football field. Called Stratolaunch, the plane would be bigger than Howard Hughes' famed Spruce Goose, which flew once in 1947. It's beyond-Earth ambitions. Carry a rocket tethered to its belly uh, to an altitude of about 35,000 feet. Then once aloft, the rocket drops, fires its engines, and air launches into orbit. And that is the Bloomberg STEM report. Well, it wouldn't be a political debate if we did not hear from Ian Bremmer from the Eurasia Group. And Ian has uh, made a stop on his way to the Brexit vote in Italy, where they had an election this weekend that did not go the way of the perhaps uh, the ruling coalition would have preferred. Uh, Ian, we saw a, uh, a, a not an upset in Rome, but uh, a, the size of the vote, 67 percent for Virginia Raghi, has to be a disappointment to Prime Minister Matteo Renzi. Uh, she's from the Five Star Movement uh, that uh, began almost as a joke and now seems to have gained some significant strength. Yeah, big loss for uh, for the Prime Minister Renzi um, in in Rome. Uh, the most significant political setback that uh, the charismatic Prime Minister will have seen since he came in. And uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, he's relentlessly optimistic and positive, and you know, he's just doubling down in response uh, on uh, on the need for reform, the need for more leadership. He's got this massive referendum that he's staked his entire. Uh, you know, uh, leadership on uh, coming up in the fall uh, on on basically a change of the constitution, political reform uh, with the in the Senate, uh, which if it passes would be enormous in in Italy, probably the biggest reform we've seen in any European government in well over a decade, actually creating unified governments in Italy. But this is a big hit. He could lose. 
And if he does, he's basically done for. So, you know, I mean, as you're seeing across Europe, the populists are gaining. I would still say that Renzi is, uh, it would be predicted to win on this and still is by far one of the most popular leaders across Europe for any, any head of government. Um, but, uh, but this weekend was not good news for that fellow. Well, I wanted to go there. I wanted to ask you what, if anything, it tells us, not necessarily specifically about the mood of the U.K. voters, but about voters in general in Europe. Uh, there's discontent, yes, but discontent in favor of what? Well, I mean, this anti-establishment sentiment, which has two different components of it, uh, one is the hollowing out of the middle class across Europe as well as in the United States, people that feel like the establishment supporting free trade, globalization, the EU, stronger integration of the EU, has done nothing for them. So voting for anti-establishment and populist causes may seem to be something that is risky, but if you think that you know your, your leaders are, are, are going to provide nothing for you and the, the social contract um, that has been established between governed and governor um, is no longer in place, you're more willing to go that direction. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing the, the reaction from the refugee crisis, which, of course, is playing a big role here in Italy. It's something everyone's worried about, um, with the, especially with the concerns around Libya and throughout North Africa, um, that the Italian government has, has a hard time uh, both keeping them out as well as integrating them when they come over. Um, and, you know, the uh, the populist parties, in this case, the Five Star Movement, speaks aggressively to both of those things. Also, Beppe Grillo, the, the, the former comedian uh, who had actually been charged for murder when he was younger, is no longer as important uh, as the uh, as, as the front of the movement. And so what you see is a number of lesser known but locally popular figures that are becoming more significant, having a better shot. All right, let's come back with Ian Bremmer from the Eurasian Group. He is in uh, Venice today after the uh, vote in Italy over the weekend. We'll talk more about uh, his views on Brexit and where the U.K. goes from here. Coming up in just a moment, as we mentioned, uh, defeats for the ruling party in Italy over the weekend, the mayor of Rome and the uh, mayor mayoralty in Turin going to the five-star movement. Hasn't upset markets uh, around Italy. The FTSE MIB right now is up by 2.5%. That's 426 points on that index. And the euro is stronger today by half a percent, 1.1331. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Tom Keen and I are live in London all week. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City Realty Investments. See them at NRIA.net. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sage Summit, the world's largest gathering of small and medium businesses, featuring Sir Richard Branson, July 25th to the 28th in Chicago. Register with promo code business at sagesummit.com for just $99. Federal mogul holdings largest shareholder, activist investor Carl Icahn, raising his offer to buy the remaining 18% stake of the auto parts maker. Icahn Enterprises raised its bid to $8 a share from the $7 a share offered in February. 
Global equities rallying, the pound strengthening the most since 2008 on signs the campaign for the U.K. to stay in the EU is gaining momentum. The yen declining with U.S. Treasuries and gold as haven demand eases. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 28 points. Dow E-mini futures up 218. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 59. The DAX in Germany is up 3.5%. So is the CAC in Paris. And the FT100 is up 3.3%. Ten-year Treasury down 17.30 seconds. The yield 1.66%. Yield on the two-year 0.72%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.8% or 88 cents to 48.86 a barrel. Comex Gold is down nine tenths percent or eleven dollars twenty cents at twelve eighty three sixty an ounce. The British pound a dollar forty six forty seven. The euro a dollar thirteen thirty five. The yen one zero four point five three. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. We had to go on separate airplanes to come here to London. Very yeah, strict it's like role. the president and vice presidents have to fly separately. Separate planes. McKee took the Gulf Stream, and I had to slum back in the cheap seats. But thank you to British Airways for really seriously a terrific flight over by the entire team at uh, British Air. With us, Ian Bremmer, uh, who always flies first class. He's with Eurasia Group. Ian, I was walking um, with a sainted one down St. James Street and pointed out the economist uh, skyscraper, the towering building of The Economist on St. James Street. You did an interview with them a while back, a couple months ago, and I'm absolutely fascinated by what you think Brussels and Europe needs to do, whichever way this vote comes out. What is the to-do list for Brussels next Friday, this coming Friday, rather? Well, if they vote out, uh, Brussels, uh, along with all the European capitals, are going to have to do as much as possible to show everyone else in the EU that this is not a viable path. So they have to create maximum uncertainty, a little bit of panic, and they have to show that, uh, you know, that it's going to be economically very costly, that there's, a, there's no good deal coming to the Brits anytime soon, because most of the European you know, sort of core nations, when you ask them, uh, are in favor of at least having a referenda uh, themselves. And, and a lot of them would like to vote out if they got that referendum. The Euroscepticism has grown immensely across the continent. So it's a very, very tough to-do list, if that's the case. Now, if they vote Remain, and I think Remain is the way we're going, as do the markets, as you know at this point, um, then you really want to get as quickly as possible um, that deal that was uh, ar- arranged, negotiated by Cameron in Feb- back in February with the EU, you want that signed, dusted, implemented, um, and you want the Brits to be seen as true leaders um, in a revived European Union before another crisis comes. Is there up any indication of that? Waiting in the is, there, is there any indication um, of I, that at all? Of, of the latter? Of, of just Brussels saying, we'll do something here. We're going to throw you bone Britain. I think if they vote in, the the, bone, the bones have already been given. I mean, you know, the fact is that Cameron, a lot of it had to do with, you know, sort of smoke and mirrors in terms of saying, well, you know, sort of we have our sovereignty still. Uh, and so there were 
you know, uh, there, there were actual there were sentences that were drafted, legal sentences drafted that, you know, sort of made it seem as if the Brits got more. There will certainly be negotiations um, around uh, how the Brits take refugees and what kind of benefits they need to give to them um, when they come into the U.K. Again, that was part of what the Brits negotiated. There's no new negotiation here. The issue if the Brits stay in, um, then I, I, you do uh, have Cameron, who is going to still be the prime minister, despite the fact that he has a majority of conservative Eurosceptics in his constituency. Um, and he's going to be pushing forward uh, for a stronger role, a stronger British role in the EU. Um, it, the problem is it's multi-track. Um, and if you're Brussels, you want to you don't you want to avoid opening up a bunch of new negotiations with, you know, with the Danes, for example, with the Dutch, with yeah. a bunch of other countries that might otherwise want them. Well, follow-on question to that is how much influence does David Cameron have if they remain in? There are some suggestions. Of course, you have to separate out the politics of the newspapers here in London, as always, but some suggestions that Cameron ends up with a strengthened hand in uh, helping shape the EU going forward. I think he does, and I don't think it matters if he wins small or he wins big as long as remain happens. There won't be another referendum in Britain any time in the foreseeable future. Um, he will be able to maintain control of his party. There will clearly be a shakeup of the cabinet um, in the near term if that occurs. He's going to have a relatively slim governing majority in Parliament. Um, but nonetheless, I would say at least for the foreseeable future, they have to have a new general elections by 2020. That's what the, what's, what's been promised. But certainly for the next couple of years, Cameron is it. And keep in mind, Labor Party, Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, you know, very, very weak in terms of opposition. So I think Cameron comes out of this, if he wins even narrowly, as one of Europe's strongest leaders. And he'll have a mandate uh, for a new deal with the EU. Um, that's not a bad thing, frankly. I mean, and even if the United States can get through our elections in November in reasonable order, you could start to see negotiations on a big new trade deal. Uh, with the Europeans. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot to play for. Uh, but keep in mind, even though we all think Remain is going to happen, it's still pretty tight. We're still three days away. And if it hits, it's going to hit pretty badly. Does this provide – is anyone in the European Union listening in the sense that um, the idea that Britain could come so close to leaving – that uh, you have the kind of reaction you're seeing in the Italian elections, uh, you're seeing the the populism and the problems that are taking place in France right now. Uh, is there a any understanding that maybe the way they have governed things and run things the past few years needs to change? Well, I mean, there's two things here. I mean, one of the reasons why Brexit's coming so close is precisely because the consequences are not disastrous, right? I mean, the markets will say they're disastrous, but for the average Brit, you know, it's a wealthy country. They're pretty comfortable. So they could, they have the luxury of being able to vote in or out, and their lives are still going to be the way their lives were. If you look at Britain, Germany, France, Spain, even Italy, there's really no possibility of, of anti-establishment populist parties actually taking governance. It's not like Hungary. It's not like Greece. On the other side, you know, the, the fact that this, this horrible uh, political killing, terrorist killing of, of Joe Cox, the, uh, the member of parliament, there's no question that three days off uh, from campaigning um, made the difference. And um, the tone that you now see 
across the political spectrum in the UK is much less shrill. It's much more respectful. It's much more decent. It's the kind of thing one would hope you'd see in advanced industrial right. democracy. It's exactly what you're not seeing in the United States after Orlando. And I do think that will have an impact on other European mm. governments. You know, I, I think that, you know, sort of a desire for some civility in the political space is a much welcome thing. Tell me about the G0 United Kingdom. You coined the phrase, the concept, the belief of almost a zero-sum international relations. Can an island go by itself? Well, I mean, there's certainly that's, – that's the direction they're heading, right? I mean, if you look at this entire debate over Brexit – over the last several months in the UK, at no point has people have people been talking about the fact that the Europeans need them. At no point have people talked about the fact that, oh, the United States is committed to the special relationship. We might screw that up. This is purely about what's useful to the Brits. It's tactical. It's short term. So in that regard, it's very G0. And there's another way, too, which is if you look at the demographics of this vote, you have the cosmopolitan Londoners and yeah. the Welsh. And Northern Ireland and Scotland all in favor of union, while you have England, majority England, saying, we want out. In other words, it's really a race to the bottom. It's decentralization. It's local. And if the Brits do vote out, of course, there's a, there's a significant likelihood over coming years that you would see a further unwind of the United Kingdom uh, itself. In, <laughs> excuse me, yes, Ian Bremer. Thank you so much. Coming to us from Venice uh, today, Ian Bremmer is with Eurasia Group. Every nation for itself, winners and losers in a G0 world is truly uh, classic. And Mike, the cover of it this morning with the, the G0 Euro and the blue chairs around and one of them toppled over. You wonder who that toppled over chair will be depending on what we see here. What do you think, Mike? What's your observation? Well, it's beginning to look uh, as if this may turn out to be Bremain as opposed to Brexit. But I, I liked the comment this morning from Richard Breslow, who writes the Trader's Notes for Bloomberg News, yeah. uh, looking at the market reaction to a, a slight shift in the polls. Uh, he notes, how many times over the years have you heard, this is the most important election or number or referendum or geopolitical event of our time? Yeah. Okay. Now name them. Exactly. And that, that takes me back. We people build say, it up. People say, what do I think? And honestly, folks, I don't have an opinion. And I, I feel removed from the debate being an American. Olivier Blanchard, I think, had the wisest feel, which is that we need to be careful of our inner hysterias and our overwrought analysis. We'll try to not be overwrought. Another hour from London. Bloomberg Surveillance.